As the fantastic events unfolded before us, we knew that the Challengers wouldn't go unchallenged for long. And so it was the Challenger Mountain was besieged by some of their villains. While the four that attacked were not their greatest, they certainly harbored ill intention. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. All right, more challengers, and I am frustrated at the fashion choices that are made later this episode. <laughs> that was the biggest problem for huh. me, and I I hate to say it, but I think the thing, things are weaker for it. Um, but we'll get there. We're, we're, I'm a little ahead of us. Uh, we have a few few more issues to cover today before we wrap up our, our coverage of the challengers before 1964 to 1966. Um and uh, some interesting returns, some interesting decisions, and you know what? Some more spotlight issues, however, not on Rocky for once. So thank God for that. Um, so I think I, I appreciate that a little bit, and we give Rocky a little bit of a rest from all the body horror and just absolute <laughs> psychological trauma that he's been given over the last few issues. Um, Joanne, this is going to be a little bit of a quick one, but we're going to try and read through. Some of these are just very basic stories, um, but what's more important is who they highlight or certain aspects that occurred during them, so we'll see how that works. Uh, we're going to jump into Challengers number 41, January 1965. The Challengers have a brush with death that causes Rocky to retire, quote-unquote, and leave the team uh, to work without him for a time before he returns to them and help them win the day due to some public shaming and personal soul-searching. <laughs> Um, effectively, uh, despite the fact that they have encountered near-death experiences multiple times as Challengers of the Unknown, Rocky just says, you know what, this is it. This is the one that makes me want to quit. You know, guy couldn't, can't be a Challenger all the time. Sometimes you got to just grow up and move on with your life. And he leaves and leaves uh, Ace Red and the Professor to be Challengers by themselves for a while. And when the challengers are losing a fight on national television, Rocky is seen in the street, and a bunch of people are like, "Dude, are you gonna go help him?" And after a while, he kind of like gets over his fear and goes in and helps them and helps them win the day. But it's a very strange like. Had this carried over from multiple issues, it would have been more impactful. But this just feels like another thing happening to Rocky that is then ephemeral and returns the status quo to normal. And this is the one where he's got the sliver in his head, right? And the the issue right. is the crippling pain, and he like worries that he'll lose it uh, if if they're counting on him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a he's got like a, a massive headache that is also like leading him towards uh, certain radio signals. Effectively, he gets like kind of like a bit of shrapnel in his skull, and it leads him to danger, and he's worried about. It affecting him, and if he loses it, then he won't be able to help them. It's bottom line, none of it matters. True, like none of this actually ends up being important to Rocky's character in the future and/or the, the the full lore of the Challengers, because it all just kind of just gets forgot by the next story, the second story at least, which uh, Professor Haley is stuck at the bottom of the ocean doing a job. And the rest of the challengers try to save him unsuccessfully, but they all kind of have to work together to raise his little compartment thing uh, and help him escape to uh, the surface. Again, 
if the the series or the story with Rocky retiring was like a full issue, two issues, it would have been a little bit more impressive, impactful, emotionally stirring. The fact that it's dealt with in 12 pages and then immediately we do a different story is kind of like it reinforces the concept that none of this matters. Even in the the one issue that has like what is ostensibly a two-parter or that's the wrong way to put it. There is one issue that has a story that like has a maybe a direct sequel is the best way to put it as the second story. But even then, like they're all two-parters and even that is like conclusion of one story and then start the next instead of it being a true like two-parter like we've seen in so many other ones. JLA has had, yep. had two-parter issue stories. Like there's plenty of there's plenty of precedent for DC to do two-parter stories or at least um like even Hawkman has had that, Adam Strange, etc. But it's like there's plenty of precedent for this. You could have done this. You could have made this an interesting thing and it would have given more emotional resonance to this but you just chose not to and again the challengers work this way yeah this isn't to say that this ruins them as a unit or a concept they thrive off of this incredibly short serialization but also don't do things that are impactful or important yeah we get because it's it's not going to land well you know know your audience in this in in this way it's very it's disappointing when you're like don't show me something that could be really cool and then not do it ever again because you don't do that with these characters it's just depriving me of really cool storylines that you could do and showing me what what could happen but you're just not going to do it kind of a thing i don't know it just it frustrates me when they do that it's like it's, it's like stay in your lane know what you're good at do your thing or be a different comic or change your format and entirely and and go this other direction which you can do but do that instead of trying to half ass it you get glimpses of what this comic would be if it were different if we cared more about them like we did green lantern and the flash than we did about what they did what freak of the week they were yeah. dealing with that is what this is. And that's kind of one of those situations. Okay. And now we're going to move on to Challengers number 42, which is uh, March 1965. Uh, Kra, Volcano Man, Multi-Man, and Drabney, you know, those names we've, we've come to love in Challenger lore, those reoccurring villains, uh, team up to fight the Challengers by forming the League of Challenger Haters. And of course they lose because they're bad guys. Um, but for folks who literally didn't get my sarcasm there, Kra is a robot man that they encounter on a foreign planet. Volcano Man is a living magma person dude that they fight in a different story. Multi-Man, we see him all the time. Multiple Man, Multi-Man, the guy who every time he dies, he gets a different power. We see him a lot. Uh, Drabney was a guy who had like a mental physics projector thing. He had like a helmet that helped him do stuff uh he's also here it's a bunch of like d-listers for the challengers and multi-man team up to make the injustice league and try to kill them okay in the name <laughs> challenger haters oh. it's just oh god it's it, it's goofy and i that's going to be a thing I'm going to stress throughout this. Uh, yeah. It, it's not the thing that's meant to be taken serious. Well, it's played as though it is, 
But you gotta know when you call something the Challenger haters instead of like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You could There's... do like the anti-Challengers or something like that, and that's that's more serious. <laughs> the Challengers of the Unknown is so intense sounding that the League of Challenger haters God, is right. so like a bunch of high school kids who don't like them kind of got together and made a group. Like it seems so less epic. Mm-hmm. That it's like, come on, guys. You could have thought of like three, like at least two of you are really smart. You could have thought of something better. You know, could have worked the unknown into it. So it's like the challengers of the unknown. It could have been the champions of the unknown, or you know, th- literally anything like something to make them the unknown, so that the challengers. Yeah. Of the unknown, and they were the unknown. I don't know. Like, this is where the frontier some... pushes back. Exactly. There's so many cooler ideas you could have done, where that were like you know, I don't know. Yeah. There's. It's just so so blah. And the there was a thing that I realized from. I think there was a the moment where they were like setting off, and you get like a rear shot of them all, all four of them. And they have such wildly different silhouettes in in the way yeah. that you would get from like a Saturday morning cartoon. It's they are different. They and there's to be clear, distinct silhouettes is a good thing. I, I'm in favor of that. But the like multiple man being hyper tiny, and then you've got the big lunk of uh, the vol- a volcano man. You've got the robot. Uh, these are characters who are distinct in a goofy way that is uh iconic archetypal reductive maybe even nothing wrong with that but simplistic no perfectly fine also drabney's just a dude yeah yeah (laughs) that they constantly make fun of that aspect of his entire character like the challengers do not take drabney seriously and his inclusion in the league of challenger haters is funny to them which makes us not take them seriously. Yeah. Because obviously they don't take them seriously. Like the one that they take the most seriously is Multiman. Yeah. Because he's been a problem for them consistently. So they're like, you at least are a thing. Volcano Man, I forgot existed. Yeah. And he just communicates and like hisses and everybody else is like right. talking. And it's the other bit that I realized... I. It was, I think, two and a half pages of actual fight. Like, the rest of it. The the focus of this issue, or rather of this story, is on the gathering of the Challenger Hater League. Like, and then there's two two or two and a half pages of fight, and they get jobbed out so hard. Oh, yeah. It's a squash match. Imagine if the only... Imagine if there wasn't a Frieza saga and we just got Frieza showing up getting cut into pieces by trunks and that was it that's what this is oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Goku showing up and, and housing the Ginyu Force yes yeah like without having the Ginyu Force beating the crap out of Piccolo Krillin Vegeta Gohan like there's so like you get all the build up and then Goku's like nope not a problem <laughs> it, it just it was it was so funny to me. I was just like, that's it. That was the whole buildup was to these guys getting their butts kicked in like ten seconds flat. Yeah, um, I think the the only win that they notch up, uh, and they wind up like squaring off in one on one or 
two on multiple uh, fights. The only thing that goes right for them is uh, Craw like teleports away from a fight so that like lures, I, I want to say lures Ace to a location and then poof, disappears yeah. so, so that they can gang up on Red or something. And it still mm-hmm. doesn't work because he it's, figured it out and he followed. It's silly as all hell. Um, the second story in issue 42, uh, Red is exposed to some radiation um, and has to cover himself up. He looks very negative man very. or uh, the invisible man uh, in this because he's like wrapped himself up because the radiation basically makes him a living laser projector and he could shoot lasers out of his eyes and he effectively um, destroys this monster that they're fighting in this current story by using all of his laser powers, which are temporary and they go away at the end of the issue. Um, he just becomes Cyclops. Yeah. Yeah. He literally has to wear goggles that prevent the lasers from coming out of him because he has to put special like dirt on them. And the the crystal that gives him powers is a red crystal that gives him red laser powers and he has to wear glasses or else he might blast everything into a He just becomes Cyclops yep. for for half an issue. What? That is lazy as all hell. As X-Men are happening at this point. Yep. It's been out for a little over a year by the time this issue comes out. So this is just an absolutely unabashed, (laughs) just copy and paste of a thing. And it doesn't even stick. Yep. It doesn't even, like, remain a thing that Red can do forever. It's just, I did it, and then it wears off because radiation wears off. The weird thing is, I, I think I remember it being that they keep the crystal, and if he had the like, if he kept holding on to the crystal, he would still have the power. It's just that when he puts right. it away, it leaves after a little bit. It's yeah, it just <laughs> oh boy. Let's put that gun on the mantelpiece and never bring it down again. Yeah, like, look, this is a thing <laughs> where if the challengers continually got stuff and put it in their like armory, and it became something that they constantly grabbed, like, or what are they going to bring from the armory this time? If that crystal ever came back, the lightning machine that Red had at one point that he wore, or Haley, oh, or yeah, Ace's yeah, yeah. jetpack, all that <laughs> BS. If they just like put all this stuff in a room and it was like, today's the day we're going to use this, then I would care that they would grab these, these things because it would be like an RPG inventory. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is the thing to use. It would be like Link's, you know, satchel, where it's like, is today the day I use the hookshot? Like, sure absolutely on board for that they don't do that though it's just like they grab things accumulate them and and then they never are seen or heard from again and it's interesting because letting it like if they if they wanted to this could just be red kryptonite where it goes away the power happens and it goes away at the end of the story but it doesn't there are things that get introduced that i mean I don't think they had ever had any intention of making it permanent, but they didn't do the lay the groundwork for even the flimsy, like no prize justification for why they don't show up. Like, like you allude to there's, I think it was in the fight with the, uh, with the league of challenge haters that there was the jetpack and the lightning thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just no explanation. Never coming back. <laughs> Suddenly they have these. Like, has that happened in the last episode of our coverage? They just have these this gear now? Which felt so like, and this G.I. Joe character has this item. In such a weird, like, arbitrary thing. Mm-hmm. 
arbitrary is the like, right word. It was it was just such a strange like, and now they have things decision that if they don't have them now, I'm asking why they had them to begin with, or where did that thing go? So it's just it's a it's a bizarre decision to have made. Um, Challengers number forty three, May nineteen sixty five. Time travelers go back to the nineteen sixties present. Uh, to meet with the challengers of the unknown to help them to, uh, to get their help to destroy an alien creature that is in the future and unstoppable by destroying it in the 1960s. Pretty, as silly as that sounds, it's a fairly straightforward story. Um, I have a question for you, though, uh, Matt. Monstro, the creature that they're fighting, is clearly sentient. They kill him. Like, yeah. This is not this is not like a a giant centipede is attacking the city. This isn't a kaiju. This is like a sentient alien being. So it's interesting because the way that the that the future folks talk about the creature at the end is that oh the the aliens who put the creature here won't like won't try it again which implies that at the very least the creature is weaponized in some way but there's uh, i guess i don't know about sapience but definitely like some manner of i i think is sentience the right word uh in terms of like it's sm smarter than the average bear put it that way okay i'll accept that i won't i won't do the body count for it then it's, it is a weaponized uh, creature, but it is definitely not. Uh, it does not. It is not exercising free will to do this, and does not have motives. I will say though, I I think the point is almost academic because this these are characters who I don't think care about killing, or more accurately, this is a comic that doesn't seem to care about killing in the same True. way. Because uh, even, we still we still track it though. We do. Uh, it's. I don't know that they kill super often, but the bad guys do die. And just like people on the sidelines die. Like there's the we're gonna see what Count Driago or whatever just get murdered. Mm -hmm. Right. Um speaking of not killing an awful lot. Uh the next story in the in 43. A group of mutated human beings attempt to collect the challengers of the unknown for a menagerie of other beings living on borrowed time. And in doing so, they give the challengers new outfits. So we know the challengers in these like very striking purple solid block cover you know, colored jumpsuits. These assholes give him some orange and yellow Jetsons attire <laughs> yeah, with no yeah. sleeves. It's bizarre and I hate it. And it's, ugh, it's so gross looking. I don't know. Uh, boo. I have literally the note is new uniforms exclamation point boo exclamation point in my notes here. Um, now, we were talking about killing just a second ago. True. The challengers blow up this whole fucking island that these guys are on. <laughs> yep. They don't not do that. They don't find a way to non-violently stop these individuals. They like Because they do non-violently stop the League of Challenger haters. They're very clearly capable of not murdering. But they do kill these dudes. <laughs> Yeah. By tricking them into destroying machinery that will then destroy the island. So I'm going to say this is body count five here, because there's five of these aliens. Now, 
To your point, however, with the Italian count in Challengers number 44, July 1965, the Challengers are uh, returned to Italy, uh, the site of one of Ace's many combat missions in World War II, I guess, 20 years prior. Is Ace 40? <laughs> How old is Ace? Yeah. Because he fought in World War II. Uh, and references Nazis, and it's now the 60s, so his ace is old, um, or at least in his 40s. Like, I would assume that they would at least be in their, like, late 20s, mid-30s, or at least the professor's going to be the oldest there, because becoming a professor is a, a lengthy uh, academic adventure that requires time. Ace has got to be in his 40s, or at least late 30s. Um Okay. I mean, if you're if you're if you're a pilot, you're I can't imagine you're 18. Depending on when he joined up. I guess. Cuz World War II, World War 2 had voluntary service. Yeah. I'm just I'm running through in my head uh like the youngest he could be I would say is 18 in 45 and we're in 63 right now, so uh, I guess like the, we're in sixty five. The youngest he could. We're in sixty five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So like the absolute youngest he could be is thirty eight, and realistically, probably a little bit later than that. He's probably like like I would say generously. He's he would have probably joined up when he was twenty one. Yeah. Yep. So he's probably forty <laughs> something. So he's like forty one, forty two, maybe. Uh, bottom line being, uh, the Challengers have been called to this old castle, which was the site of one of Ace's combat missions, where they are to disarm a bomb uh, so, at this wait, Italian wait, castle. Wait, hang on. Hang on. I just realized a thing. They mm -hmm. passed up Korea in this case when they didn't for Hal. Although, yeah. I guess, I actually... Uh, they don't me. talk about it for Hal. Yeah, they weren't talking about it for Hal, were they? No. That is... Uh, that is uh, a later thing. Justice League New Frontier. You're right. New Frontier huh. makes him a Korean war vet. JLA and Green Lantern is very, is very decidedly World War II. Huh. Hal has to be like 40 as well. That also came out, what, was that 54? Uh, late 50s, early 60s. Okay. Makes a little so sense. it wouldn't have been as weird. He would, have been like his, he would have been like his mid to late 30s. And Hal's shit is kind of being the guy who's been around the block a couple times. Right. Whereas he's, he's a former... Yeah, he's a he's a former pilot, you know, and the whole point is he's really good. We're, I mean, Ace is a good pilot, yeah, but they don't make it the cornerstone of his whole thing of how good of a pilot he is. Yeah, he is more he's of a daredevil like, than a, I've got the skills to back it up to. I mean, right. I guess not quite it, but it. I don't know. Hal has always felt a little bit more like, oh, I, you know what it is? He's had his romantic flame, like a situation in the past with carol he has been around long enough to have done that once and be like oh i have an old flame there's a key word right. there an old flame mm -hmm. huh. anyways uh, there's my I little diatribe <laughs> no but you're, you're right though um so ace goes to the, with goes to the castle with the challengers um they disarm this bomb it, it kind of goes off and a giant eye is revealed like a giant floating eyeball that is killing the the count and all of his descendants now they find out that this is a result of a curse that an alchemist put on the count's family and it is killing all successors to could potentially become the count there's a conversation here about the actual mysticism in italian folklore about the evil eye 
that could be had here. That this is like an extension of the evil eye is an actual manifestation of, of a giant eye that just lasers you and kills you. Um, this comic isn't nuanced enough to have that yeah. uh, series of conversations. Um, bottom line, one of the Count's descendants or next in lines is straight up a fascist. Like they're straight up like stormtroopers and, and brown coats at one point. Is that what they call them? The brown coats, uh, the, brown, the, brown the Mussolini's coats, yeah. men. Yeah, yeah, brown coats um, who were fascist supporters of Mussolini. Shirts? That might showed have been up. black shirts actually. Might have been black shirts. I'm thinking of uh, yeah. oh. Firefly. I think. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Uh, <laughs> but they are they're dressed like Mussolini supporters, and one of them gets killed. And I was like, oh, that's a weird conversation about fascism still existing in the '60s in Italy. Um, but they save the the youngest successor who's in a plane by just shooting the eye. <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, second story in this. Ace two, is brainwashed before, before into... Before we move on, oh. two, two things. The first is... Uh, I did a quick Google. Uh, brown shirts were the SA in Germany. Black shirts were the par- par- fascist paramilitary in Italy. Uh, so that... That's probably where we got that in there. Uh, the second is, can I can I ask you to look at the book for this for that story? Because I want I want to look at the colors of the flag because I know in the source that I looked at, <laughs> what's the, the source that I'm were. reading from now too? Okay, I'm okay, yeah, that's that right. Now too, uh, they are almost Irish. Yes, it's it's but the thing is, it's orange, white, green. Which mm-hmm. is the flag of the coast of Ivory, the Côte d'Ivoire. Mm-hmm. So, it's very explicitly Italian fascism. Uh, why? Why Why wouldn't yeah. you? I don't even think that was the flag of the Italian fascists. I, I think it was green, green, white, red, and then like a, some manner of something in the middle, I assume, but... I think you're, I think you're right. I, uh, let me tell you a story about how good Italy is about not putting up their fascist history with Mussolini. I don't even know what the flag is. The fact that we don't know what the Italian fascist flag looks like off the top of our head tells you how thoroughly Italy has been like, no, with that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, like, up until recently. <laughs> up until recently, yes. Yeah. But, but yeah, by you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the fact that Germany's like, no swastikas ever. Yep. You will go to jail regardless of why you have it. You will go to jail. Yeah. Correct. Even Japan's like, mm, the rising sun flag doesn't exist. We never did that. Uh, next story in 44. Ace is brainwashed into helping a villain take out the rest of the challengers, but he doesn't since he obviously snaps out of it. And there's a whole, basically a whole story of showing how much better at everything Ace is than everyone else. You know, save for sciencing, Ace kicked everybody's ass. It was pretty impressive. Um, good to know, I guess. Uh, Challengers number 45, September 1965. Multi-Man makes a giant robot uh, referred to as Multi-Woman who breaks the League of Challenger haters out of their prison. And they run a very long con where they look like that they are actually turning over a new leaf and becoming good guys and help the Challengers destroy a fabricated threat that the League of Challenger haters have created in order to kind of get the challengers out of the way to then imprison them themselves. In a very elaborate plot, 
that required like miniatures and a fake news broadcast and all sorts of like really specific film techniques that just doesn't work. Like the challengers just don't, they beat him. Like there's no like, ah, the challengers are out of commission for like two issues and they have to like escape this imprisonment they've been put. No, (laughs) they just win. And I was like, come on, this was like actually really cool and some good work that was done with the League of... Like, this is like the most impressive scheme they've come up with. Let this work for a while. But no. if I'm remembering right, like they they do the thing, like they break out of the cave-in that was, oh no, we're going to die in here. Like they figure out the way to break out and then it's just done. It's not like, oh, and there's still a fight. It's job, 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 job. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's really silly. After really cool, like Ice Dragon, I liked that Ice Dragon. Yeah, there's some cool stuff in this story of like a fake Ice Dragon made out of robot parts, and, and like they they're convinced it's a real thing. But the the League of Challenger haters made like a bunch of Disney level animatronics to fool yeah. them, and they oh god, it was it was impressive. It was impressive villainry, and then it was just like completely destroyed by the Challengers. Absolutely no no selling how awesome this was bottom line the challengers of john cena yeah or nwo era hulk hogan yeah that's actually more accurate just no selling any offense and completely winning every time it is in my contract that i will not lose yeah and if it isn't in my contract i just won't perform if i do um if i'm scheduled to thanks hulk hogan you're the worst uh Challengers number 46, November 1965. The Gargoyle, a new villain who just looks like the Hunchback of Notre Dame, so we're just mixing all sorts of metaphors here with this villain. Um, The Gargoyle falls for a blind woman while he is running some schemes and capers uh, opposite the Challengers, and the Challengers effectively stop him from being with the woman that he loves after he uses his ill-gotten gains to fix her eyesight. And then she realizes he's kind of a criminal. He's the criminal based off of his descriptions that she's been hearing about over the radio. And she's like, oh my God, you're the gargoyle. He's like, see, I told you, you wouldn't love me if I, if you saw my face. She's like, no, it's just, you're a very specific looking man. And I've only heard a bunch of news reports about how you're the worst. That's the issue. Not so much that you look the way that you do. I would have loved you regardless. It's just that the descriptions I've heard of a criminal on the news can only be you. (laughs) That's the issue I'm having here. And the gargoyle leaves. The challengers continue to to pursue him. Into the next story. Hey, look, a two-parter. Hey, look, June. For the first time in all of our coverage here, June shows up and she is sick and tired of the challengers bickering about who should be in charge because we haven't seen that in any issue up until this one. This seems like a fabricated conf- confrontation for the sake of having June show up for this exact purpose. And she gives them all a bunch of junk, like a slingshot, a hourglass, and some other bullshit that they have to use to try and fight the gargoyle with. And she says, whoever beats the gargoyle with his weird tchotchke um, becomes the leader. And Ace does it by virtue of just, one, saving everybody else. And then, two, defeating the gargoyle with his piece of garbage. Um, 
there's a lot to unpack here in that not once in the last two in the last two years of the comics that we were reading in this coverage of these last of this episode and last episode did we ever see the challengers argue about who should be in charge that was never a source of contention for them that was never conflict that ever came up they all just kind of did like whoever knew the most led the team at that moment mm-hmm. that was usually how it went no one was like i'm in charge therefore i'm delegating tasks it was when Red had the laser beams, he was in charge. When the prof was stuck at the bottom of the ocean, he was telling everybody what to do. When Rocky was super smart, he was in charge. When they were going to the Italian castle that Ace almost blew up during his wartime, he was in charge because he had the most context. Not once did we ever see them argue about who should be leading the team. Then suddenly, in the second half of this issue, they are at each other's throats in, the, in a level at which they are almost fighting physically with each other over it and june has to come in and be like you boys are so stupid here these gifts appeared for you on the front door and they're all like what the fuck is this bullshit and she's like well why don't you use those to catch the gargoyle and whoever does it gets to be the leader and then they do it and their ace is like well technically i did win and june's like guess what i just picked some crap at random wrapped it in presents and gave it to you to see if you'd fucking figure it out in the most strange flex i've ever seen of a character um and she's like so it seems like ace is going to be the leader and everyone agrees but i was like this is such a weird contrived situation beyond the fact that it was contrived to begin with for june to just show up and do like why what (laughs) why was this the story it was so strange um so anyway there's there's an answer to why oh no it was bill finger i'm not gonna like it Oh, fuck. Bill, stop giving me reasons to not support you in your argument over who created Batman. Come on, man. Yeah, I, I believe that all of the other issues that we covered were... Uh, actually, let me take a look. So, uh, the artist remained the same. Bill Brown, uh, I believe he did both pencils and inks. Uh, Arnold Drake, I think, has done... Actually, one... One sec while I hit back a couple times. Okay. Oh, and Bill Finger did Curse of the Evil Eye. I uh, he did. I think it's mostly... Eh, okay, so Ed Heron does the first three, and then it's a smorgasbord of, it, of writers for different issues after that. Well, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> and it's... The Gargoyle story, the, the first part of it, is interesting in a way like it's it's doing a thing it is telling the hunchback of notre dame kind of story the the kind of the phantom of the opera story the oh you can't if you saw the real me then you would hate me uh and honestly i think this is a little more (laughs) A little more true to life than all of those stories. And, and I, I guess actually Fan of the Opera falls into the same uh, category. But her, uh, Laura's thing is not, oh, you're hideous and that's why I reject you. It's, I reject you because you are a criminal. And she says that very yeah. explicitly. And the gargoyle just interprets it as... Oh, like, like completely ignores the part where she said, oh, it's nothing to do with your physical appearance. It's, 
oh, you, you are a criminal and you use your criminal talents and money to get me this operation that lets me see again. Uh, and he just, he just blanks that out in, in his brain. And yeah, it never revisits it. The second half, uh, he is not a character in the second part of the story. Uh, and he gets like a page after, maybe even less than a page after this revelation, after she gets her eyesight back before the end of the, the first part. And it's just, Oh yeah, you really are just full on incel and you will, you will hear the world the way you want to hear it because you feel that entitled. Yeah. There was, there was a level of human humanity to this story that at the start where I was like, Oh wow, this is actually kind of interesting. Are the challengers going to be like, Hey man, you really didn't commit that many crimes give up being a criminal and we'll let you be with your lady you mm -hmm. know like yeah because there was a very sweet story there about a woman who didn't care about a man's appearance who fell in love with him for the person that he was it's like yeah like we all love that story that's mm -hmm. every one of the stories that you mentioned is like that whole situation i'm like cool let's do that that's kind of neat and a little bit different than what we normally see with challenger stories i'm down for it Showing the challengers having compassion and human understanding would be great levels of empathy for them to display. But instead, you're right, he completely rejects the actual reality of the situation, goes full, you know, awful bad guy, and nearly throws her off a roof yeah. in an attempt to escape. Um, it's just bananas crazy. Um, like, there's a whole sequence, too, where, like, the villains who work under the gargoyle are thinking of betraying him because they think he's gone soft. Like, there's levels to the story that yeah. are actually good, and then it just ends in such a lame way that's like, come on, man, don't... Like, again, this is the... Don't do something better than this comic if you're not <laughs> going to actually improve this comic. You know what the first chunk of this story was? It was a Flash story. It's Captain... Yeah. Uh, or what, Mirror Master getting out of... Yeah. Uh, out of prison, and the camera is just on him for the first half of the issue setting up... Oh, this is how like he finds something he cares about and oh starts to go after it and then okay as things start to happen the flash comes in and perspective shifts over to being about the flash being the protagonist but yeah like the first half of this story is he is the protagonist he is the tragic protagonist and the the tragedy is he doesn't even think of the choice that's in front of him the right oh i i gotta i gotta rant about this because uh this is one of the things that i hold on to i'm probably actually gonna hold on to this story a lot longer than i would if it actually were executed well because and did like the hunchback of notre dame uh fan of the opera like oh misunderstood person who has a chance to redeem him i'm probably gonna hold on to it longer because it reminds me a lot of halo 5 spoilers for halo 5 in the very broadest sense i am of the opinion that halo 5 is a game a, a story about a conversation that doesn't happen where two character a character is trying to reach another character to have a conversation to dissuade them from doing a thing and by the time they actually get to that person that person is already too far gone and has made the choice and the conversation doesn't even happen the decision is already made and I'm not going to claim Halo 5 is an amazing game, but that particular piece, I will 
I have always latched on to and always remember and find fascinating. Who knows if that was intentional on their part? I don't know. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I am going to remember that for a long, long time. And this does the same thing, but I cannot, I really can't give them credit for, give Bill Finger credit for this interpretation. I do not trust that he actually meant that. <laughs> yeah. We keep coming back to some situations like this where it's like, there is a level of nuance here that is clearly not intentional. Yeah. That could be really cool to see and have, but it is very much accidental. <laughs> we don't, we want to praise them for it, but we can't because we know that it's like, you didn't mean to do this. Yeah. And it's frustrating because we're so close to when comics start getting good. Yeah, like and, once we hit the seventies, it's it it all it's almost the Bronze Age of comics at that point. Yeah, you know, seventies and eighties and stuff like that. And like like you said at the top, that these were fun. It's they they are just fun. That's not yeah. bad. Like honestly, the comparison that's easy to draw in a in a way that boosts these comics is, hey, like we did not get along well with Superman comics. And these are just as goofy. They're just less mm-hmm. dumb goofy. It's more it's more camp, I guess. Yeah. More more B movie. Maybe that's the better way to put it. And camp. Yeah. Both. Saturday morning cartoon, maybe a little bit tsunami, something like that. It's just it's not it is not self serious in a way that other comics by this brand are attempting to be mm-hmm. or feigning the capability of being. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about how much I hated those suits. It's really the big takeaway for me here. It, those, those costumes are a downgrade. And they're leaning into like the borrowed time thing. Mm-hmm. They got giant uh, hourglasses on them. Yep. It's just, ugh. It's so it's so tacky looking. Yeah. Whereas the other ones made it look like kind of official, kind of like work outfits. These were somewhat paramilitary. Maybe they could be uniforms. These just look like a yellow shirt with giant f- orange fins, yellow pants, orange boots, no sleeves, and a big hourglass. And it's like, yeah, what is this look? But it's this weird retro futurism, but maybe for the 60s, futuristic look. You know, again, it looks like the Jetsons a little bit. It really does. With those radials on everything, like the like almost like those Saturn rings around around their arms. It's I don't know. Not a fan. But then they didn't they didn't call me to consult on Challenger's <laughs> outerwear. Yeah. Uh do we have anything else for these issues? Or did we cover everything that you had? Like the goofiness is a thing that I kept coming back to. And it's, I don't know that I have the right word for this one, but there's just, it it goes with the goofy kind of thing more often. That when, when there's an opportunity, it does a thing. Like uh, there's a point where they get, what was, uh, they they successfully find that these illusory creatures the in fact i think this was the this was the first story uh these weird creatures that get created have are, are like 
matter out of nothing and there's a helmet that makes that happen and so Mm -hmm. they wind up tracking it down and okay they first off okay that's like a twist that gets revealed in the last like two or three pages uh so it's a little wacky without trying to ground itself and like build up to itself Uh, it's not laying the groundwork is maybe the better way to put it uh and then there's a point where okay they they grab the helmet and okay i'm gonna use it to help my friends win this fight and I'm going to make another team of challenger like phantasms to fight for us. And it's just goofy. It's interesting. It's fun. Uh, the point where they get the laser to sh- they get the laser to shoot the laser eye or the evil eye that's going to attack the plane. And my understanding was the point of it was, hey, we got the laser. The weapons platform that it's on is like a UFO spaceship kind of thing. It's not like saucer yeah. shaped, but it is clearly like, oh, this is a spaceship. It's not like, oh, they mounted a laser on a jet fighter. Yeah, it's almost reminiscent of the old Challenger jet, which was that like orange flying saucer. God, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. And then then you get like, I, I actually really like the art in a lot of... I liked what the art did, I guess, is be the way to, better way to put it. Like, yeah. they, there are things where they've got the progress triptych that I talk about, like the close, closer, closer uh, kind of thing uh, showing progress. Uh, so there's like competence and new styles of comicing, uh, comic paneling there. But also you've got like a goofy as hell moment. The challengers jump into, like they try to tackle some rubbery giants and they get... They get boinged out. <laughs> yeah. That is the sound it's effect. Very, it is boing with, uh, I think, four Gs. Maybe it was three. It's very Hanna-Barbera. Very. So I, I like the goofiness. I, I had fun with that. Uh, you also called out at the in the very last story how in the previous two years of comics, there really hadn't been like arguments over leadership. And yeah. This is, we've talked about it before, this is a familial comic. Uh, Partly because, hey, it's playing in the same space slightly before the Fantastic Four. So, like, it's easy to draw that comparison to the first family of Marvel. But also just, there's a moment where, like, Rocky voices that they should leave Ace when he got brainwashed. Uh, But, like, same panel is, like, told, hey, no, we don't leave Challenger Band. Rocky's like, "Yeah, yeah, you're right, I'm stupid. Uh, these aren't, except for that last story, they don't milk cheap heat, cheap trauma out of clashes of characters. It's just either this is the thing that just kind of happens in the background. Like you think about the thing, Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm just butting heads. I mean, that's the same thing there. It's not going to change how they react to each other. It's not a, it's not a princess, uh, princess, eh. <laughs> not a professor xavier is a jerk kind of situation where that's the plot it's not a oh fuck this i'm out walk away and storm off and then the point of the story is this person like having to reconcile like when rocky leaves it's a you know i didn't want to tell you guys i i don't think i can do this and he Mm -hmm. like and they are hey you're one of us stay with us and as soon as he comes back, he's welcomed back. He has to sneak out because he doesn't want to let people down. It's never, I'm storming off and people butting heads. Like, it's not even a, hey, don't leave. You're letting us down. It's just, no, don't 
don't leave. It's very... They almost gentle... don't accept it. Yeah. They're almost like, put your stuff back on, man. This is silly. What are you doing? Yeah. It, like We get to choose what risks we take, and you are a risk that we take. Yeah. Like, we, we care about you enough. This is... this you, Whatever you are, whatever threat you are by this radio signal in your head is not a concern to us because we care about you. Yep. We will handle this together. Yeah. But yeah, I think that about does it for me. All right. Moving on to recommendations. Uh, I picked up a game recently on Steam. This is Early Access. Um, It's called We Who Are About to Die. It is a roguelike gladiator sim. Hmm. And you play as a gladiator that is randomly procedurally generated stats and background and everything. And you play in real-time combat, gladiatorial matches, and uh, you try to succeed in whatever varying uh, background uh, goal they give you. So if you are a uh, ex-soldier, you're trying to get 100,000 gold to retire. If you are a slave, you're trying to get 100,000 influence to earn your freedom. If you are my favorite class, the bored, thrill-seeking civilian... You're trying to just kill 80 gladiators. You're just trying to survive long enough to have killed 80 people. Because you're just a regular dude, a rich guy, patrician in Rome, who's decided he wants to be a gladiator. If you're like a blacksmith, you're trying to sell back as much like $100,000 worth of equipment that you earn by being a gladiator. If you're a thief, you're trying to get people to like you enough that they drop the charges. <laughs> So effectively, like, you're sentenced to die in the arena. If you continue to survive and you get enough favor with the different patrons, they will set you free because you've basically served your time. And I thought this was very fun. It is made by one person. Uh, and it's impressive, and I'm enjoying it. It's only crashed a couple times to me. Like I said, it's early access, but I'm thoroughly enjoying the game. It's very fun. I was just picking it up right now. Uh, it's on the Steam Spring sale, I believe. It's cheap. It's an early access game. So go grab some fun indie games. All right. On my side, first off, new Friends at the Table season. So, you know, if that's a thing that you're interested in, go check that out. Uh, but I'm going to recommend at least a little bit of, uh, I think it's, let me, let me see if I can figure out the name of it. There is a specific history of watergate that i've been reading and i didn't the reason i say i'm only i'm not recommending like all of it all of it is because uh hey like i i only read the first chunk and then i dropped off it so you know like i'm not saying everybody has to but watergate a new history so by garrett m graf and in particular the things that it makes a case for what one thing it makes a case for directly and the thing it indirectly sort of led me to uh it's a history of watergate that begins really before nixon's administration starts and is hey from the beginning you have somebody who is like pushing pushing lines crossing lines breaking laws uh engaging in the same kind of like break-ins and authorizing those and it's just Okay, you can see it get normalized and normalized more and more as a strategy. And 
Watergate just happens to be the time where not only does he get caught, but it blows up and it doesn't stay under wraps. Uh, and so that that view on it is interesting. The other bit is reading through it. It was fascinating to be like, oh, this is just the Trump presidency. Having people in the administration who you just do not uh, are, are not part of the quote unquote establishment uh, because you don't trust the machinery of government. You don't trust the rules in place. You're oddly dovish in some ways on foreign policy and really not on others. Uh, the the racism and anti-Semitism, the, the view of every protest as a an act of rebellion that is tra- treasonous, I found that fascinating. So I, I recommend at least reading some of that. And hey, good news, libraries. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that'll do it for challengers. We'll do it for recommendations. Uh, we're moving on to the elongated man next. Nice. I'm excited to see what Ralph and Sue are up to, and then after that is Flash. Uh, big, big excitement there because to get get back with good old Barry. Um, yeah, I'm excited to move on to those. Just get some something new. We don't see a lot of elongated man stuff, so it might be a short episode, but it's always good to kind of just get a different type of character with a different shtick uh for a bit and get some palate cleanser before moving on to some straight up superheroing so we'll get there soon dc detectives can be found on soundcloud and itunes stay in the know check out our facebook twitter and instagram with the moderate individuality of each challenger budding amongst the not so standout stories we decided to leave them be and allow them to grow without supervision After all, a watched pot never boils. We set our sights for a peer instead, and made our way to the home of the ductile detective, the elongated man.